this is Captain Lee, and you're listening to the Andertons Podcast. It's the captain here. Welcome to another episode of Anderson's TV. And it is my huge honor uh, to welcome John Petrucci to our YouTube channel. Um, Hello. What brings you to the UK? Visit the captain. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt like I had to apologize after uh, the uh, interview bomb at the NAM show. <laughs> so you flew all the way to the UK just to apologize. Nothing to do with the fact that you may have been touring over here. No, no that was just, secondary. That, that was after you. It was actually worked around. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should I should start by thanking you for taking part in in that uh, um, interview on the Annie Ball stand at uh, at Nam. That was for me the highlight of my oh, show, cool. meeting you and Luke and was Paul and uh, Steve Moore. It was mental, for absolutely brilliant. <laughs> um, but so as you know, in these kind of um, interview things, I like to get to, to know the player a little bit about okay. what inspired them to, to start playing guitar and uh, you know just talk through their life and career and sure. stuff. So look, you're a, were you born in New York? I was, yeah. So New York born and bred? Yes, on Long Island, New York. If you know the US at all, yeah. Long Island kind of sticks out of, on the East Coast into the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'm an Islander. So born, uh, you know, sort of late 60s, exciting times for music. So I guess, you know, what was growing up in your family like? Were they a musical family? Uh, not really, not particularly. I, yeah, I was born in 67, Summer of Love. So, uh, you know, <laughs> a lot, my childhood was, was the 70s. Um, but, you know, besides like maybe some like Elvis and Paul McCartney and stuff being played in the house, it wasn't a big musical household. Um, my my older sister played the organ. We had this huge organ in our uh, like two Yeah, one of those <laughs> things, and and she got that. I've told this story many times, but I, I I was very jealous because I would her organ lessons were at night, and so the instructor would come at night, and it probably wasn't even that late, but I was little, and I was so jealous. Like I'd be in bed, and I'd hear my sister taking these organ lessons, and I'd be like, why does she get to stay up late? You know. So I had this ingenious plan of taking guitar lessons, and then I'd be able to stay up late. I was really young. I was probably nine. I don't even remember how old. Maybe younger. 
But uh, my lessons turned out to be on a Saturday afternoon, so my plan completely <laughs> fell apart. <laughs> yeah, in fact, and yeah. you had to cancel all the good things. I had to cancel all the good on things. On Saturday afternoon. And uh, ironically enough, I hated it. I, I, really? Yeah, I, tried, I had this guitar. It was had nylon strings, and I couldn't play it, and I couldn't fret the notes, and I was so frustrated. And, yeah. You know, the guy, I'm sure he was nice, but he was an older man with a pitch pipe and yep. trying to teach me the Mel Bay stuff and I just was like I'm not into this and it wasn't until I was 12 where I just got bit by the bug and really wanted to play guitar so who was that then do you you have that moment where you heard Mm -hmm. a guitar solo or a band and you just thought that's you know could you remember what that was you know what I I actually uh, I remember um, this might sound strange but I remember having a a reoccurring dream that I was on stage playing guitar and it would happen like really often so it must have been some kind of message um and then fortunately enough for me where i grew up on long island in new york there was a big music scene and rock was played on the radio um everybody in my town played an instrument so there were constantly bands that you can go see at parties that were playing at at the school the battle of the bands things like that um, you know, you walk down the street on a summer day and hear a garage band or somebody, I remember uh, still as clear as day, somebody sitting out there with an acoustic playing Stairway to Heaven. Um, you know, so, so it was just all around me. Oh, and cool. um, it was a great environment to grow up in because it was just so readily available and it, it was the thing to do. Can you, can you remember what that first guitar was that, you, that your parents bought you when you were 12? When I was 12? I, I actually went, um, I don't know if they have them here, but they, we used to have flea markets. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, so it was this big kind of warehouse store with everything you could possibly buy. And we used to go there. And the, this, um, this one, they had a music section, and they were selling a, a Les Paul. It, it was a copy. Yeah. It was a Suzuki <laughs> guitar. But it was like the most decked out thing I've ever seen so it had a vine going down the neck and mother of pearl um, binding uh, I think it might have even had gold hardware it was black it was like unbelievable and uh, for a 12 year old though is that a coolest Les Paul copy it was, it was the coolest thing yeah mm-hmm. I, I, I ended up um, I think I traded it for an Aria Pro 2 <laughs> yeah did you did you yeah. who did you stand who did you want to be when you were standing in front of the mirror Les Paul around you. Oh neck. man! Well, I was a big, big Rush fan. Okay. Yeah, that, that was a, a big. I mean, when I was that, you know, when I was twelve, yeah, I, I would probably say like, yeah, I, I pictured being Alex Lifeson. Is that, <laughs> now I, I've I've got this um, kind of funny uh, relationship, I suppose, with sort of progressive music. Mm. I, I meet a lot of guitar players that play that sort of style of music, right. but I've always found it. Uh, not to be the most accessible kind of music. Yeah, true. So I'm really surprised that at 12, or mm-hmm. you know, that you had already decided that that was the kind of music that you wanted to listen right. to. Um, you know, certainly I know for me, you know, I, 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 you know, I got into guitar through much, much more sort of commercial kind yeah. of accessible stuff. So mm-hmm. why do you think that was that you, you, you know, what was it about the, the sort of the you know, Rush and Yes and right. you know, who else would have been around at the time doing that kind of stuff. But you know, what was it what was it about that that 
you know, as a 12 year old. It can't have been cool no. at school to listen to that. Well, kind of that's stuff, the funny it? thing. I mean, there, there was kind of a progression. So, you know, early on, like, you know, I liked ACDC and stuff like that for sure. Um, you know, again, we're, I, I think a lot of uh, the direction that I took has, has a lot to do with where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Because describing Long Island uh, during that time, so 70s, early 80s, um, again, big rock scene, uh, music like Rush, Ozzy when he came mm-hmm. out with the Blizzard of Oz, um, Iron Maiden, mm. all that stuff was it was being played on the radio. So I was hearing this stuff. So I had access to it. Um, it wasn't just the pop music or, or you know, the more commercial music. There, there was this other stuff. Yes, included. And um, all those bands managed somehow to, to break through with whether it was Roundabout by Yes or, uh, you know, um, Subdivisions or or Tom Sawyer or something like that by Rush that they had a commercial side that was able to break through and that enabled me to kind of go deeper and it would always be um, nine times out of ten a friend or a friend's older brother who knew I played guitar and was like dude you got to listen to this (laughs) you know always and that's how I got turned on to the dregs that's how I got deeper into Rush that's how I got turned on to yes Al Demiola, uh, yeah. Return to Forever. Oh. All, all those guys were like, it's always an older guy that's like, mm-hmm. all right, you think that's good. <laughs> Forget about that. You got to hear this. So a lot of it was environmental where I grew yeah. up. someone that was learning to play mm-hmm. guitar did you did you find it frustrating that maybe your the, the music you were into was really quite complex mm-hmm. was, or did that just drive you to practice more it did it, and it again it was definitely a progression because I remember trying to learn like for example like the heartbreaker solo you know <laughs> and and some some solos by Boston Tom Schultz yeah. solos and stuff like that and I really it was so hard for me and the, the most frustrating thing that young players of today don't have to deal with is that I couldn't see what the players were doing. Right. You know what I mean? I couldn't watch Jimmy Page in a, on YouTube yeah. and say, oh, that's how you do it. So I was sitting there with a, with a record, you know, slowing it down, the, the speed down, dropping the needle and listening to it over and over. And um, there were so many things about a lot of the solos that I tried to learn that I didn't know what they were doing. Like, yeah. I thought I had the notes, like I developed my ear, and I thought I got the notes right, but I didn't realize that there were bending or there was yeah. a double stop. Different or tunings, maybe. Or anything, you know, Tom Schultz said he was harmonizing and layering guitar. I didn't know what that was. You know, uh, Eruption, when mm-hmm. Eddie's doing the hammer-ons and it has phaser on it, and so it just sounded like a keyboard. I had no 
I had no visualization yeah. to understand what they were doing. Do you think it was a bad thing though? Because nowadays, mm-hmm. you know, magazines will notate stuff. Mm-hmm. YouTube will put a million things up. You, you know, to almost make it as easy as possible for you to 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 see what uh, right. the, the original how the original piece was played. But do you think, in a certain way, the fact that it forced you to develop an ear mm. and forced you to just practice more right. was ultimately for the good? I think so. It'll be curious as to how this translates, you know, when you look back at all this. Because maybe players like myself and my generation and before developed our ears mm. better because we, we didn't really know. Again, we couldn't see what people were doing and, and we had to use our ears and then kind of develop our technique slowly and, and develop um, through practicing hard. You know, when, when young players are able to watch how something's done on YouTube, mm-hmm. see it broken down exactly, they're getting there a lot faster. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they're lacking in anything. I mean, obviously, if you watch some of these kids, the technical abilities are unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if maybe the ear training part isn't as advanced. I don't know. I'm, I'm you know? interested to see. Yeah. You know, I think there are players of your generation and, and you know, maybe certainly before mm-hmm. uh, where their sound and their style is their own and it's so distinctive. Yeah. And I see that less nowadays. Right. Maybe that's because there just are less styles to, to have you know ultimately yeah, everybody true. ends up sounding like somebody else right because you know i guess that's the there aren't enough different ways but again i wonder so much about you know the fact that you've been forced to learn in a way where you had to work out your own way of playing mm. something rather than being able to go okay i see how he did it now i'll do it like right. that meant that you know you have your own style and your own yeah sound. I, I don't know i don't know the answer to that mm-hmm. i think that style is definitely something that comes with age though mm-hmm. you know i think there's a certain point even when a, a player a young player is really good you know super developed technique wise and everything I, I think it's a lot of mimicking for the most part and then i think style kind of follows mm-hmm. as as you become older i think it's kind of like that with any anything really you know it's it's the part of the brain that it maybe yeah. isn't ready so, for that yet so that, so the guitar bit you bad you know you had it you yeah your, your teenage years were spent i guess pretty devoted to, to oh man to the, to the guitar i just practiced all the time all the time all the time so what what was the point at which you thought right well, i want to do this you know i want to do it at berkeley mm-hmm. I, I, I had you had you kind of decided that your career was going to be as a guitar player and yeah. Berkeley was just a, a means to an end? Or? Yeah, so the way I came uh, to that conclusion was, I, I, like you said, I really got bit um, when I was 12. I, I just started practicing all the time, trying to learn as much as I could. Um, I, I was playing now on Long Island in New York. Uh, soccer or football mm-hmm. was, is actually a really big, popular sport in, yeah. in New York. So I was really into that, and once I got into music, I kind of dropped that. <laughs> so I dropped everything, and I just would play guitar all the time. Started to listen to more and more challenging music, progressive bands and players. Got myself up to where I was learning, you know, uh, Dregs pieces and Ingve um, when he came out and all that stuff, and really trying to shred. And at the same time, really into the band angle. So yeah. super into Rush, super into Maiden. Uh, you know, Metallica yeah. early on when, when they were really young. Um, yes, and Queensryche and bands mm-hmm. like that. So me and my buddies, we'd go to 
whenever these bands would come through the New York, New York at either Madison Square Garden yeah. or the Nassau Coliseum, we'd go see them. And um, I, I got that was the other bit of the bug. Yeah. That got me was I want to be in a band. That guy. Yeah, I want to like have an international career, you know. And and I would see documentaries of Maiden like in all these different countries, meeting all yeah. their fans and being so cool. The interaction, you know, they get. I'd go to the show and they have this amazing stage production. That was the life. Have, have you like, got the Dream Theater Jumbo Jet yet, or is that yeah, still working on it? Working yeah, on it. Working <laughs> on it. So, so besides the guitar playing part, the career part, yeah, that I really wanted to be in a band. That was a big, big focus. Focus. And one of my best friends back then, John Myung, mm. who I met around that age in middle school, uh, is we're still in Dream Theater together. Yeah. So we had that dream together. But as far as Berkeley, you know, I when when I really was very decided I wanted to be really, really serious, um, I looked to my idols. Yeah. And, I, and my idea was I'm going to emulate what they did. What was their path? How did, yeah. you know, how did Steve Vai become who he is? How did Al Demiola? And I started doing some research and I realized, hey, these guys went to Berkeley. <laughs> Seems like the place to, to be. And so I really got my sights set on going to Berkeley and um, were you, were you there at the same time as Paul Gilbert? Because I'm just thinking, are you the? You're almost exactly the same age, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I, I don't think Paul went to Berkeley though. He was like no, an he, MI guy, right? Oh, yeah. Sorry, you're yeah. completely right. Yeah. I'm getting my music colleges mixed. That's up. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, he he uh, yeah he went out to the West Coast. Yeah, yes. Berkeley and Boston. Um, you know, th- there were probably a bunch of guys there at the same time. Maybe the Living Color guys. I don't, I don't oh, know. Oh, cool. I don't. I don't really know. I mean, obviously, John and I. Yeah. And uh, we met Mike Portnoy there. Vernon Reed. That's, yeah. I, I don't. I can't remember. Maybe who am I thinking of? Um. Maybe the bass player was there at the Doug, same time. Doug Wimbish. Said, maybe. Was he the, yeah. Yeah. He's still, yeah. Don't still, quote me on that. But. Oh well. I'm sure yeah. YouTube will either <laughs> agree right. or correct us. It was in like the 85, 85, 86. Yeah. And I mean, I because I kind of I love the fact that um, I always love the fact. I think it must be a such a wonderful thing to be best friends with someone from middle school and mm-hmm. then join the band with them and, and make such a success of it as you have. And the, pretty much the rest of the band, you all met at Berkeley. If, if, there yeah. were, if ever there was an advert for going to music college, <laughs> exactly. Dream Theater yeah. would be it, wouldn't it? Well, the, you know, John and I went there together. Um, we, uh, we drove up there and um, we roomed together and we started interacting with the other freshmen and pretty much right off the bat, we met Mike Portnoy, who was also a Long Islander, but we didn't know right. him. He lived on the South Shore, farther west, in Long Beach. And we saw this, this kid playing, and we're like, oh, you know, he's amazing. And so we started talking, and he was into the same bands that we were into, and we started playing together. And that was the nucleus of Dream Theater. And our keyboard player at the time, Kevin Moore, was a, was a friend of John and I's, who we grew up with, but he went to a different school right. so after a year at Berkeley we all decided to okay. leave so you weren't there that long we went there for a year and then we were like we were practicing all the time yeah you know we at Berkeley we used to have to um, we had to schedule our, our rehearsal time we had to reserve the rehearsal room because there were limited rooms so we'd have to get up and wait online at like 6 a.m. to schedule the room and then after classes we'd mm-hmm. set up all our gear and practice and break it down and do it again um during the the first sort of winter break holiday break 
we all got together and you know started recording and stuff like that and by the time this, the second semester rolled around we were like we got to do it we're ready let's do it you know <laughs> so then we had to go to our parents and say yeah we're not going to go to school anymore i see so, i think that's yeah. i i love the fact that um when it all boils down to it you know someone who's had the success of you still still you know there'll be there'll be guys out there now who are 18 19 years old whose biggest maybe obstacle for not taking the guitar more seriously mm-hmm. will be well what would my parents think and you right. know am i going shouldn't i be going to do a more academic yeah you know path or whatever right and you know i certainly think it was probably hard i think now it's probably maybe more accepted to, mm-hmm. to go into the creative arts as a as a you know as a degree or something like sure. that sure back then i can imagine you know i can't you know i can imagine families that have you know, pretty, you know, if you've got a hard-working dad and... Yeah, it's like, it was like doing, that. Man? It's just... A hundred percent. I mean, um, as supportive as my parents were, mm. and I was a good student in, in school, so I could have gone, you know, academically mm. to, to uh, on a different path. But um, I remember having to convince my dad, like, I want to do music mm. as a career. And he would say, oh, you need something to fall back on. And, you know, he's really concerned about that. And I was like, I'm not going to fall back. You don't understand. And it was actually a music teacher in high school who, um, he was the band teacher. And I wasn't in band, Mm -hmm. but I would always take my guitar to school and I would practice in his band room during lunch breaks or study halls or whatever. And so he knew me. Your band is, I think in the US, you're talking more of like orchestral. Orchestral band, yeah, Yeah, exactly. Different to, yeah. 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 Um, And so he, uh, at one sort of parents night or something, he sat my parents aside and he's like you gotta send him to Berkeley he's like you don't understand oh that's cool and so I have to thank him a lot for doing that but it was hard yeah. to convince them to to, uh, to send me to good music, good music teachers are yeah. I think well good teachers just generally I think are the, you know they make such a huge impact on students yeah. lives don't they So did Dream Theatre kind of, uh, did it reach the sort of heights that you were hoping it would relatively quickly or was it sort of slow burn? I mean, where, where, what was the deal with yeah, the early uh, years of Dream Theatre? I mean, yes and no. Like, there's a lot about the way that we came, came to be professionally that didn't follow the standard rules. Um, so after Berkeley, when we left there and we started kind of demoing our music mm-hmm. um, and, and then, you know, practicing together as a band regularly the typical thing that a band would do uh from long island the new york music scene is a gig you know there's plenty of clubs and you'd go out and gig and you'd uh have your demo and all this stuff but we we never did that we just kind of recorded a demo and then we sent it out and we got interest and we got signed so that was we kind of bypassed the yeah the gigging thing and in fact when we released our very first album, we played very few shows. We never toured for it. We played some local things, and uh, 
it wasn't until Images and Words came out, which was 92, mm-hmm. and we're in the middle of a 25th anniversary celebration tour for that album. But it wasn't until then that we, we started actually an international career right. on that Iron Maiden dream yeah. and started touring and regularly and all that stuff. Because I guess back then, it was all about the record deal, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. different maybe now. Oh, way different. Um, yeah, it, it was definitely different. That, that was basically the only way mm-hmm. that you can have some kind of professional career or exposure yeah. is you had to get signed. That yeah. was the big thing. You know, and it was, as much as it was, I don't want to say easy, but it was quick for us. Yeah. It was hard because we weren't the norm. Like our music yeah. was completely wacky. It wasn't, <laughs> you know, picture that time period. You're talking mid 80s. Guns and Roses. Right, yeah. Um, it, it was, uh, the music that we played was influenced by those bands that I talked about yeah. earlier. So we're playing metal music that kind of sounds like Yes wrote it. Yeah, you know, with uh, the singer from Rush, you know, so it was. It didn't fit into like the normal commercial '80s thing. And that must have been yeah. tough. Then I get because, like you say, you're heavily reliant on uh, radio airplay, then aren't you? There's yeah. no, there's no Apple Music or right. YouTube or anything YouTube like or anything that. like that. Yeah, um, or, or even social media. Yeah. So right. So none of that. So all of it is reliant on in in mostly in Europe. Uh, print publications mm. and actually in the states back then too print publications but uh radio was the, the mm. thing or mtv back then there was headbangers just, ball yeah just started yeah, yeah we got we got on headbangers ball with our oh cool second album that was a tell me about the video for that then because i could imagine yeah. you know this is back in the days where you know MT- bands had never really had to make music videos before so oh totally did you have well, a blast doing that you know what it was really quick i mean so now, uh, after the first album, second album comes out, Images and Words, um, again, the music on it is not what's happening at that time. Mm-hmm. So in 92, that was like the era of Nirvana, mm. Pearl Jam. Almost you know, the anti guitar. Yeah, kind of like vibe, no guitar solos, all yeah. that stuff. You know, meanwhile, we have songs like Metropolis <laughs> that are like all these instrumental sections, long songs. Pull Me Under that ended up being our our most successful single was yeah. an over eight minute song so we go out there Very radio friendly <laughs> you know i don't it was like a fluke we go out there um we start touring driving ourselves in a van and go driving from club to club playing in front of yeah. you know a, a couple hundred people and through college radio requests and stuff pull me under just started to blow up and i guess maybe within the landscape of all those different grunge bands this stuck out as what the hell is this what are these guys doing and so it became a rock radio hit it was being played all the time and so the record label um said uh well you need a video and we were just on a club tour so they came with a couple of cameras and shot us at a club show oh and that's the video was it, yeah. and uh, did you remember the miming your guitar solo or something for the video? Uh, yeah. Did, did, you, did you give it the full 110%? Totally, it's full on. Now, I can't remember if the footage, I, I can't remember how we did it. If we did it actually, like, at, during the show. Oh, okay, actually part live. Of, part of me slightly remembers, like, doing the song twice in front of the audience. Maybe we told them. I think we should insert video. here. Find some three-second clip you know? of that on...
It was interesting. And then, you know, then that van we were driving around in turned into a tour bus. Yeah. And then that club tour turned into an international tour. And, and that really sparked our career. And, uh, you know, it's fitting that we're in the UK right now. The guy that signed us is, is from London. His name is Derek Oliver. He uh, was a writer for Kerrang! Right. magazine. Reviewed the first album. Loved it. Got an A&R gig at Atco Atlantic. Uh, and the president of Atlantic at that time was Derek Shulman from Gentle Giant. Right. So I wasn't familiar with that at the time, but Gentle Giant is a huge prog band from the oh, okay. UK. And Derek <laughs> Shulman was the singer, and he was the president of Atlantic. So Derek came in, took a huge chance on us, you know, pitched this crazy progressive band from yeah. Long Island, and it ended up working out. It's a, It's funny, isn't it, that sort of... I know when I, uh, so I learned to play guitar in the 80s, mm-hmm. where I guess you still, there wasn't really anybody to look up to that wasn't pretty good. Yeah. You know, it was like. <laughs> yeah, there was like, any any given song, there'd be a guitar solo yeah. on it that was like, whoa. And, and, I, yeah. and I certainly remember at the time thinking, um, I'm sure this, you know, it's tough to be, to, to the, you know, it's tough to get to a level where you actually think, you know, mm-hmm. I'm doing okay here. Mm-hmm. And then I guess the positive thing of, of you know, the whole Nirvana and over here, you know, we had the Britpop mm-hmm. thing happened, was that it did become very accessible again, guitar. You know, right. you could have a guitar hero that just played three chord yeah. tricks, you know. But you're right, you know, back then you think about, you know, whether it was Scorpions or Rat mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, whatever you're hearing at that time, there was always some like ridiculous guitar mm. solo that you, you know yeah. couldn't play. That you know, but I think now, now it's what's really nice now is that you know what YouTube and and um, you know music streaming has kind of brought o- along is this ability to just pick and choose what you want to listen sure. to when you want to listen to it, rather exactly. than you know radio stations going, well, this is the direction we're going in. And in fact, you had it. One of the things I think in the in the US. We, you always had multiple radio stations covering multiple genres. Yeah. Uh, over here, we we literally would have had, you know, two or three mainstream radio stations, and so what they were playing was what you listened. That to. That was it, and, exactly. And that was it, and yeah. obviously that changed also with satellite radio too, mm. because that now you know now you have um, stations that are more specialized to different mm. genres and and uh, bands like us could be played our songs could yeah. be played you know even now it's hard to get our songs played on traditional radios sure. we still don't fit yeah. in we're not like yeah. what's being played so it's good to have those other outlets So let's talk about, uh, so I'm guessing how early on in your dream theatre journey did you start to be recognised as, you know, kind of like a, a, a bit of a guitar hero and then you would have had, you know, maybe the opportunity to start working with different brands. Yeah. You know, how, how long into the dream theatre thing were you before that started happening? Um, I, I don't think it was really, it, it was really uh, when, when we were recording images and words so that was mm. 91 we started recording that where I, I had uh, started a, a relationship with, with a guitar company it was Ibanez at the time 
and it's when I f- had started my first signature mm-hmm. guitar. Um, but uh, you know, I always had this this interest in gear. Mm-hmm. I think most guitar players do. Mm-hmm. Mine was kind of like on on overdrive. <laughs> you know, I was really really into boogie. Yeah, and I played boogies forever. I was really into pedals and gear and delays and. And even when I, I got the first opportunity to have a signature model, I was so into like what could be done on the instrument. So um, Steve, do you think that Steve Vai kind of, you know, he he was the guy I remember mm-hmm. as he had the racks full of all the Eventide harmonizers, yeah, didn't he? Sure. And he had his own signature guitars and he was mm-hmm. doing stuff to them and his own pickups and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Him more than anybody, I think, at that time, really. Yeah, definitely. And uh, uh, Steve Lukather was another guy yeah. that was totally into that. There's certain guys that just have this this head, yeah. for, you know, like just where you're just really intrigued by gear and tweaking. And, you know, when, when I was given the opportunity to, to actually have my own say go into yeah. an instrument, you know, it was like opening up this huge door. door. Um, fast forward to my relationship with Music Man, which is mm. now in its seventeenth yeah. year. It's uh, you know un- unbelievable. One of the best things I for sure I, I ever did you know, was to join the Music Man family. But um, that take that has taken it to a whole different level, where literally yeah. all of my concerns, whims, wishes, desires, as far as how an instrument should perform and be built, have been not only listened to but realized in this whole line of guitars um it's pretty incredible it's a very humbling you can definitely tell you're not so many signature guitars and this is no disrespect to signature Mm. guitars out there are from a a guy who's played a fender strat all his life and fender go hey do you want a signature deal and he's like yeah if you could just make me that in my favorite color that would be awesome (laughs) you know and then there's the signature guitar Mm. nothing wrong with that at all um but you your guitars they they definitely definitely weren't oh could could you just make me this silhouette no. in my favorite color you know yeah. you, and I could see do you think you might have been a luthier had you not you know in another life Maybe. a parallel, a parallel <laughs> universe so, something with this I mean I was really into art when I was younger mm-hmm. I used to be I used to draw and paint and um, I, I was into mathematics and stuff so mm-hmm. there's something in my brain that likes Leonardo da Vinci that's yeah. what it is well, isn't it Hey, you math- said it now. Well, because yeah, no. <laughs> that's that sort of that's that kind of mathematics and art yeah, kind of collide, isn't it? And right, there right. is. So there's always been a part of me that um, a creative side mm. um, and and a complex side. I can I guess that's kind of what led to me mm. being into the to answer an early question earlier question, being into this kind of progressive music, challenging music. You know, yeah. it's like part of my brain wanted to be challenged. So what, had to do what have we got here that's most similar to the to the first JP that you would have done? To the first one. One's that um, you've got on your side, is it? Well, these are mostly Majesties. Um, the very first JP, well, we don't really have one, but it started with like, oh wait, what if, it's right over got, here. This yeah. would be the most similar. This is a 16. Um, so all, all these guitars started with this, this kind of shape, you know, the double mm-hmm. cutaway. Uh, super strat shape um, the big signature from the first JP was this arm mm-hmm. slot thing you know I, I'm really into how can not only the guitar but all the gear that I use and play even down to the pick how can that help me as yeah. a player yeah um, when you're playing on stage 
everything's magnified. You know, you have lights in front of you, you have people yeah. in front of you, you're playing, it's loud. You want to be as comfortable as you can. So I notice all these tiny little details. So one of the things we did is this arm scoop. So when I was playing, I didn't want my arm to be pushed out. Like if you were playing yeah. a, an acoustic or a Les yeah. Paul, I wanted my arm to be flat. Mm -hmm. And so we had this great R&D moment where Sterling put a Sterling ball, put some uh, like hand cream on my arm. And then I played the guitar like this and the mark that it left was the angle for oh i see what you mean as it yeah. got wider that i yeah very that was the, that was where to start this angle um and um yeah we started with the jp6 and and went on from there and it developed into the bfr yeah and uh later on the the um sort of anniversary series i guess you would call them like when i was with music man for 10 years we did the jpx yep uh, we changed the body shape a little bit, um, and then it turned into a JP eleven and twelve. Was it was it the necks on? Because Music Man for me have always yeah. their the, their signature thing mm -hmm. is you just pick the thing up and you go, yeah, this doesn't feel like anything else I've ever played. Yeah. Some people go, I love that. Some people maybe not. But, sure. But it's certainly it's a thing, isn't it? So is Absolutely. that is that what did you, were you one of those? You picked it up and you just went, oh wow, this is. Well, I remember the first time being drawn to Music Man. I mean, you're right. There's there's something about when you pick one up, mm. you get a couple of feelings. One of them is this guitar feels amazing. It doesn't feel like anything I've ever played before. Yeah. And you also notice the beauty of the instrument yeah. because their whole thing is like, you know, it's not only what the guitar sounds like and feels like, but it's the aesthetics. Yeah. And it, they're just so beautifully made. You're just kind of like in awe, like, oh my God, this is like a piece of art. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that drew me in. I remember picking up uh, a long time ago, like the, uh, the Van Halen model that they, they did in the store. I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen one of those. Yeah. So this is a, so the, uh, that, that was, wow, look, we won't talk about that. That was a long later. time ago, we'll yeah. It. But look, so let's, so the majesty then, which, yeah. which I guess was the first, it's quite a departure, isn't it? From, yeah. you know, if you were to, if you were a non-guitar player and you stood, you know, 10 meters away from a, from a JP, you'd go, yeah, I can see it's a sort of a Strat inspired kind mm -hmm. of vibe to it. The majesty really is, is this the first one that they let you just go, look, you know, go on then, John, <laughs> you, you, you just, you tell us what you want and. Right. Because well, this, is, this is a cool-looking guitar, it, it? It is. Thank you. I, I'll tell you the story behind it. Um, you know, over the course of, of 17 years, um, we, we developed certain things about the guitar through R&D, uh, meaning me playing live yeah. or being in the studio and saying, oh, I wish this was like this. And, and a lot of those decisions have been consistent on all the models. So one of the first things we did, just for a little history is I'm all about ergonomics. So I wanted the controls to be like in the arc of my hand. Right. That's why they're laid out this way in that yep. curve. That's why this toggle switch is on an angle and not straight up and down. Because when your hand moves, it does this, right? It doesn't do that, yep. that'd be awkward. And even the piezo magnetic control is up here. So everything is kind of in this sweep. That was the first thing. Things like the neck carve, um, the fret size, the, the fretboard radius. These are things that kind of changed and got tweaked mm. till eventually they were just, just perfect. Everything was exactly, even even the uh, the whammy bar that we designed. So once we got to that point, 
um, and everything was perfect, I said, let's change it all. No. <laughs> um, I, I, I really wanted to do uh, a neck through yeah. model. That's something that we didn't do. So up, up to, uh, until the majesty, everything was the bolt on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had this idea for a neck through model and I drew this thing out. I called it the stallion. Right. I figure I'm Italian. I'm from New York. Let's call it the stallion. Called up Sterling Ball. I was like, I got this idea for a guitar. And uh, of course, in true Sterling fashion, he's like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. You know, and so it turned into the Majesty. Now, Majesty, um, little history, uh, that was the first name of Dream Theater. We were called oh, okay. Majesty. When we were at Berkeley and we started, we, we came up with the name, name Majesty. And uh, the symbol that's on the guitar is an M for Majesty. That was the symbol that we use, and it, it turned into our uh, our Dream Theater logo for all these years. I so that's get what it. that is. If you look at it, it's just yeah, really yeah. an M for. It's like a yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's very so cool. anyway, I thought it would be fitting to call the guitar a Majesty because it kind of tied in the history of the band. Um, and so we did this neck this um, neck through, and I have to hand it to. Uh, to Drew Montel over there, the engineer who, mm-hmm. who uh, between him and Dudley, um, you know, drew up the shape for the guitar, sent me uh, drawings and, and, you know, programs and uh, 3D pictures to yeah. kind of, you know, hone in on the shape and uh, eventually come up with this unbelievably easy to play instrument that's the whole thing about the majesty i wanted it to be the easiest guitar on the planet to play (laughs) i don't want anything getting in my way um you know even something like this this was a discussion that sterling had we talked about upper fret Mm -hmm. access when you play large stretches like this and everybody kind of thinks about this bottom yeah access but sterling was like well what about the top you know as your thumb's going up it usually has to stop right there what if we took out this yeah triangle of doom Yep. So you're, so you're up to 22nd fret. You, you can go right up there and grab the guitar. Mm. So it, it kind of made the guitar have this, this very unique look over here. Um, and uh, it honestly, excuse me, honestly, when it first came out, uh, the photos were leaked right. of the guitar online. And, and a lot of people were like, that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like all this criticism, we were kind of, because uh, we were so excited about it. Now that's gone complete 180. And I get more compliments about this instrument. I think it's groundbreaking. I think it is a true testament to like yeah. the dedication of Ernie Ball Music Man. How those guys are so they're so focused on the art, yeah, and like the the passion of guitar building, you know, and the fact that all these little um, things that I I have about myself and my playing that I want to see in an instrument, the fact that that translates to something that other people say, you know what. I'm so glad you did that because I love that guitar. It's made my playing so much better. And it's your, I mean, some of the older, um, well, not some of the older, but some of the Dream Theater stuff where there's obviously clearly a fairly heavy acoustic influence in sure. there where you're sort of double tracking acoustic and yeah. playing big acoustic parts. Mm-hmm. How did you used to get around that before you had the piano? Before I had the, was it, yeah. Was it just, I mean, I can, obviously in the studio, I guess you just double tracking everything. Right. But live, how would you get around that? Did you just so, not do those numbers? <laughs> yeah, well, live, I, I would do, uh, you know, I, I remember again going to see Rush mm-hmm. and Alex Lifeson would have an ovation on a stand and he'd go lean over it and play yeah. closer to the heart yeah. and then move off of it and, and jump into the electric. So there was a little bit of that. 
or I would just not do it <laughs> and play it on the clean sound. But uh, yeah, I, I one of the great things about these guitars from the beginning, and the Majesty has it as well, is it has the piezo system mm. in it. So um, you know, you could either have complete acoustic mm -hmm. uh, sound, you can have magnetic, or you can have both. Yeah, and it's um, it's actually something I use a lot. I can demonstrate it. Uh, especially when I'm using playing on a clean tone, uh, because what I'll do in the studio is I'll layer clean guitars. Yeah. So left, right, maybe you know two or four of those, and then I'll layer the same thing on an acoustic. Yeah. And we blend it all together, and that's how you know probably a really good version of that would be "Pull Me Under" when you hear yeah. the opening of that track. Yeah. That's you know six different guitars right. playing together. And that's how you have the weight of the acoustic yeah. and the chiminess of the... Because that must be a huge challenge to, to, to um, interpret your albums yeah. into a live exactly. show. Exactly. You know, when, yeah. when clearly the, the, the guitar parts, well, all, all the parts in fairness, but you know, guitar parts particularly are so multi-layered and complex. Yeah. Well, that's something, you know, I've, I've learned some tricks, you know, what, because in the studio... What we try to do is just record the guitar as pure as mm -hmm. we can. So guitar, cable, amp, yeah. mic it up. Right. Any of the effects are post, usually yeah. delays, even even compression on, okay. on the clean guitar. And you're using the studio outboard gear and stuff like that. Um, so to emulate that live, even to try to get that double track type of sound, yeah. I had to come up with a way of doing that. Yeah. Um, compression, you can do with a really good compression yeah. pedal the stereo tracking thing you can do with a, a delay yeah you know split i'll split the sound with a seven millisecond delay mm -hmm. with no feedback so it just sounds like your guitar goes yeah widens up that's a good trick using delay uh in the effects loop and things like chorus will kind of give that big wide sound yeah. that that emulates that sort of tracked yeah. Let's have, let's have a listen to one of those kind of examples of a you know like a big clean sound yeah. using maybe the the, the the dual output system absolutely of the guitar and so let me let me describe what what how I would do it yeah. exactly so so this is the Majesty first thing I would do and and when I turn on the amp I'll show you but uh, it, the pickup um, selection is important so these are Demarzio pickups this mm -hmm. is one of my oldest relationships is with Larry Demarzio and yeah. Steve Lutcher these were in the very first guitars I played. So these are Sonic Ecstasy pickups. This is the latest we did for the mm -hmm. 2017 Majesty. Um, so I, what I would do is usually go to the middle position, and it's going to have yeah. both um, pickups on at the same time. If, and I'll demonstrate this as well, but if you want, you can actually tap them right. with the, on the tone control. Mm -hmm. I'll show you the difference there. This kind of gives like a thinner, yeah. uh, more twangy kind of sound. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll put the uh, magnetic piezo control in the center. Yeah. So basically it's blending the magnetic pickups yeah. with the piezo yeah. pickups. Um, in this particular situation, I'm going through one cabinet. So the guitar is set to mono mm -hmm. and both signals are going to come through the amp. Yeah. This is a very advanced guitar. It has the game changer in there. You can set it to stereo. Yes. And then you can split the signal, which is what I do live. Yeah. So the piezo goes to a DI. This is like a Y cable to you. Yeah, a box. We have a box yeah. that does that. And then uh, and the magnetic goes to my rig. Yeah. All right. So speaking of the rig, so this is, uh, if we take a, an aside for a second. Absolutely. Yeah. So th this is like a dream come true. Remember I said I was 
since I was a kid. I yep. was playing boogies, and I yep. I played boogies my entire life and collected them. Yeah. And uh, never thought I'd see the day where I saw my name on <laughs> a book. You know, that still, when I look at that, I get the chills. Um, and one of my favorite boogies of all time uh, is a Mark Two C plus. Yeah. So that was that's, that's the end. always popular, isn't it? It is. It's kind of like the Holy Grail of uh, yeah. boogies. That was on Master of Puppets. Yes. Right. That's like the amp to yeah. go to. So that was built in the '80s. All different incarnations of yeah. it. Um, this is the first reissue of a Mark Two C plus. Yeah. So so that was a, the whole thing when I went to Randall Smith and yeah. and Doug uh, and all the guys there, Jim. You know, it was like, I want to do a real reissue mm-hmm. of that amp. Like, no shortcuts. Yeah. So we did the same circuit. You know, same, if you look in the back, big-ass transformer. Yeah. Um, but what we did is we modernized it yeah. as per my requirements yeah, as a player. This, right. most of this stuff wasn't on, wasn't on that. No. So, so really quickly, I know we want to get to the clean sound, but really yeah. quickly on this. So the original Mark II C Plus, was, it just had one row of controls. Yeah. And uh, some of them didn't even have a graphic EQ, but oh, really? yeah, but but mostly they would have one graphic EQ. Mm-hmm. So it had um, two channels, a clean and a lead. Yeah, and and the the controls were shared. So let's say you had this lead sound where you had the gain up high and you really loved it, you'd go to switch to the clean and your clean sound would be too overdriven. Yeah. So there was no you know flexibility there. If you wanted multiple sounds, you had to get multiple amps, which I did at one point. Right. <laughs> If you look back at my old rigs, uh, and I'd use an amp switcher and go between yeah. three different C pluses. Yeah. Right. So my oh, thing all was all three C pluses. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. So my <laughs> thing is, I want like three C pluses. This is in where one. I think this is where the working out obsession has come from. It's exactly. With, uh, Carrying all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so to update it, I was like, well, I want separate separation, clean channel. Yeah. A channel, a high gain channel I can use for like the heavy stuff, yep. and then a high gain channel I can use for leads. And I want to have two EQs because, let's say I set this EQ from my crunch sound, yeah. and I scoop the mids, and I have this metallic sound. Yeah, that's not going to translate to my lead sound, no. right? So let's have a second EQ that I can shape as well. And uh, Boogie made good on all those requests. So now you have a C plus that has. A separate lead. I'm sorry. Separate clean, and then two separate high gain channels and two EQs. It's mad how small it is as well. Yeah. Isn't it? You kind of think it should be. You know, there's amps with half the number of features of this that are mm-hmm. 50% longer. Aren't we, they? Yeah, we wanted to keep it rack mountable yeah. oh, okay. and keep it in that original like kind of yeah. boogie size. Yeah. And uh, you know, the the layout is all the artistry of Randall Smith. He's totally into the way it lays out and looks. Um, yeah, you know, obviously has an effects loop. Uh, this is the first boogie with built-in MIDI. This is all. This is all mother of pearl. Inlay, this isn't is it? now this particular so one. Yeah, this particular one here is a limited edition. Yeah. So we did about three hundred or so limited edition that are signed by myself and Randall, where it has special things like the ox blood stain yeah. uh, front, the inlaid mother of pearl boogie logo, and uh, even the bezel here is a different kind of color. It's like yeah. a gunmetal color um, but the standard one is black everything's yes. black yeah. or you can boogie's great you can customize anything yeah you can put snake purple, skin crocodile skin whatever you want whatever you want yeah so anyway so we talked we talked about the clean sound so what I would do I guess the biggest way I could describe this is um, I like to visualize visualize the sound mm-hmm. so for a clean sound I almost think of a piano 
Right. And I think, okay, well, I want this kind of weighted sound that has sustain, but that has some nice crystal, yeah. you know, high end, and yeah. doesn't really have a lot of middle. No. You know? So when I visualize that, we'll set the amp that Big way. Big grand piano sound, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And really yeah. super, super clean. So one of the things about my request for Channel One was I didn't want the amp to break up at all. I want it to be as clean as clean can be. Right. Right. So I'd set the preamp, the gain, you know, relatively low, depending on your volume. Um, the presence is going to give all of your crystalness, so you can have that relatively high. That's a nice top end kind of finishing touch. Treble, treble, anything above, you know, five a little bit is fine. Pull the middle mm -hmm. to get that scoop sound, and then the weight on on the bass control, you know, five or or below, something like that. So that would just be like eyeballing it, and that's no graphic EQ. You can put one on, but I have it off. So that would be the clean sound. So I think, again, middle position. So that's on the middle yeah. um, position. And that's typically you'd use that middle position just for cleans? Or? Yeah, I, exactly. I, I generally use it for cleans. Mm -hmm. I I'm rarely use it for mm -hmm. playing lead stuff, although you can. Mm -hmm. Just That's just my taste. If you wanted to do the coil tap, um, it'll, get, it'll give that more sparkly sound. So. I guess it becomes a little less full. Yeah. Um, takes out some of the bass and kind of gives that yeah. really sparkly, scooped out sound. That was something uh, that we did early on um, when I started working with DiMarzio because it was a sound where I almost wanted that single coily sound, but I didn't want to break from two humbuckers. Yeah. Um, just really quickly, all my guitars have always two humbuckers no mounting rings mm -hmm. so you can for me i take my pinky and i kind of lock it under the oh wow yeah the pickup so, so that, that's it because i i know that yeah. there's the old eddie van halen story mm -hmm. isn't there that if you don't have the mounting rings you get more resonance through the pickup well but yeah it's mean, more about just how to hold the, the guitar yeah it? it was the hold and and going by that eddie van halen theory i i you know also subscribe to that so they're they're mounted direct into the yeah. into the wood the cool thing about the majesty is this whole piece so the neck the um the headstock and then the shield here is all one piece of mahogany and That's then the, the in this case the african mahogany is, is built around that and then there's a maple top yeah um, so that combination. Oh, I see. So this, yeah. this section here, that's still part of the neck, is it? Yeah. And the mahogany's glued on either side. Exactly. This, this shield is kind of laid in on the top. Exactly. It's a stunning looking guitar. I, lo I mean, they obviously yeah. you do something similar, but with a like a carbon graphite kind of vibe. Yeah. Is that is this actually carbon graphite, or is this like a paint finish to make it look? I'll like? tell you what that is. So so originally, um, the inspiration for the aesthetic for the look of the guitar came from a BMW M6. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And uh, the one, the particular one I looked at was a was a white one. So it was a it's white frozen paint. A little easier to see um, on that one. Yeah, so a, a white frozen paint with a carbon fiber top and black chrome rims. And I wanted my guitar to look like that. So we did all this frozen paint. So the the blue and frozen white and black. That's what what that look is. Um, 
the way we did the carbon fiber, this was like a, ch a music man mm -hmm. challenge. Like how could we do a carbon yeah. fiber top? And we talked about several things. Like we can use actual carbon fiber. We could use uh, some kind of uh, decal, not a decal, mm -hmm. but like they do the wraps and mm -hmm. things like that. So um, Drew and, and the engineers came up with this brilliant th way to still use maple. So to retain right. the tone wood of maple, Yep. laser etch it into a carbon fiber pattern. And, and now mm, this is the Arctic spray. dream, which changes colors. Ooh. And then sand it and stain it black to look like carbon fiber. And if you go so right up. So it's etched. That's etched maple. Wow. Is that insane? To oh, give... do you know what? You can see it if you get really <laughs> close. On this particular one, just yeah. behind the tremolo system, you can actually see yeah. the little bit of the flame maple. There you go. Um, Crazy, right? I, I assumed it was a decal. No. That's insane. That, that is what I'm talking about. That's that attention to detail and art and workmanship. You know, you know how, what? When yeah. you know what you're looking for now on right. this, you can actually see the grain of the wood on, on all of these. Is that crazy or what? Yeah, insane. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and the shape of that shield comes from the original. When we first came out with the model, they, they did a JP logo. Yeah. That, that is in like a bullet shape. Yeah. That bullet shape is the, uh, it's still right. on the majesty, it's on the inlays, fret markers, but originally that was at the first fret. Yeah. So it kind of carries that bullet shape um, with the shield. So with the monarchy, um, what we did is, instead of doing the frozen paint uh, or the stained wood, like the artisans mm -hmm. have a stained wood violin finish, I wanted to do a gloss, high gloss finish, because I love the, the look of the BFRs, yeah. where you could really see the figured wood through the finish and so in this case we have african mahogany and then the, the maple top and you can see the beautiful figure yeah yeah on, on there so we we went away with the did away with the um, carbon fiber weave um but on the back of the guitar here's another cool thing it's actually let me do this it's actually a, a satin finish oh, okay right so yeah, that so that changes literally at the edge of the top yeah. doesn't it yeah yeah so the the feel of the back of the neck and then the wood here mm. against your clothing again mm. this is all performance stuff it feels really smooth and silky yeah. and yeah. nothing sticks to you um so that's another really cool feature so that. let's try that um go back to that again sound. With, with absolutely the, but where you blend in the because i love that I love that sound that you get, you know, in the albums where it is a layered acoustic I love that. and an and electric sound yeah. together. So, so here's the, the piezo by itself would be. Even just through an I amp, it sounds cool. Even though there's, yeah, just regular 12-inch speakers, you know, whatever, it still sounds great. It has that it? punchy sound. That's going to give that piano low end that yes. we were talking about. Yeah. So when you combine the two, right... That's gorgeous. That is, is that piano y sound. Now, to get that, that album sound, I would put a compressor pedal in the yeah. front. Chorus, which is always nice. In this case, let's see, we have this chorus set up through the front. Mm -hmm. uh, normally, I would use, um, well, I would do it this way for a certain effect, have the mm -hmm. chorus in the front or uh, use the axe effects in the effects loop and use yeah. that kind of modulation. In this case, it's a TC pedal through the front. Mm -hmm. 
Also put some delay on it. This delay, yeah. So this delay will give uh, kind of, kind of give it that finishing like, air like on the outside. Sort of thing, exactly. Yeah. So that same kind of progression. We are celebrating the 25th yes. anniversary of Images, so another day. I notice you've left no. the reverb off. So you're not like a big reverb. Really? <laughs> I hate reverb. No. Um, the only the only application I find that I, where I like reverb is on acoustic. Right. I don't like it on electric. I don't know why. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm like the opposite. I uh -huh. feel utterly naked if I try and play guitar with oh my no God. reverb on it. In fact, my uh, and I'll demonstrate it in a bit, but uh, like my crunch sound, that, mm -hmm. which is a sound I play during a, a dream theater show it's probably like 90 percent of the show you're yeah. playing crunch rhythm yeah dry totally dry really yeah nothing on it wow yeah, i wonder if that's just a i guess when the you know if you're in an auditorium or whatever a mm -hmm. theater or whatever i guess you've got a certain natural you do but i don't i don't want to hear that really you know again i'm coming from the as far as that that heavy rhythm playing i'm coming from the metallica school where you want it like as tight <laughs> you know you want stop on a dime i mean that that's the boogie thing that's what boogie does really amazingly well maybe we should move on to that now that, that, sort of, that. that crunchy kind of vibe and what sort of um would you would you again approach that with um do, do you ever use the piazzo layered up with that or is that no. very much just a magnetic no i would i would shut it off at that point yeah. um also just a really cool trick if and I, I use an ernie ball volume pedal mm -hmm. and since this, the signals are split um as far as the piezo and the magnetic what i like to do is i'll set this in the middle mm -hmm. and then uh, the, I'll shut the volume pedal off so no um, amp sound is coming right. through it, right? So I can have I can emulate it now by turning this volume off. So mm -hmm. let's say I'm strumming along. Mm -hmm. 
right on the dime in the arrangement of the song yeah. and <laughs> it kicks in. Yeah. You know, all I have to do is turn the volume pedal up. Yeah. And since this is set in the middle, that electric comes power, right in. Yeah. yeah. And then really quickly, you just flip that off. So. I love how all the ergonomics are because, you know, yeah. I guess, you know, at the, 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 the sort of style that you play, mm -hmm. every microsecond of, totally. of, you know, if is all important, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. It's funny. Sterling said it once. It's like flying a fighter jet. <laughs> like any, like, quick there it's going to change something um so so as far as like the, the heavy rhythm thing um you know in, in in building the guitar from the from the very beginning uh due to the style of dream theater yeah. so uh, you know i had mentioned uh you know metallica and maiden and stuff like that you know just just i always wanted to have like a big crunchy yeah. heavy sound now that's only gotten heavier as <laughs> music has developed right um you know this guitar comes in a seven string as well we've always done a seven string so songs starting from our, our album awake i started using a seven string and and you need you need the definition to uh in in the amp and uh, in the guitar and the pickups to be able to handle all that low end yeah. you need the clarity and the cut uh and and i guess the tightness is the mm -hmm. most important thing the last thing you want is like a flubby mm -hmm. loose bottom end and that's yeah. not only in a sound, but as a person. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I think that's the, one of the toughest, you know. As I as I've um, uh, talked to guitar players that play either with heavy drop tunings mm -hmm. or seven strings or whatever, and high gain. Yeah, it almost is. I think if you're a six string player in concert pitch or playing not you know regular pitch, it's okay to have the amp uh, aid the bass end. You kind of want yeah. that. You know, you want you want to give it that. But as soon as you've actually got a string that is making a note like a bass, mm -hmm. if the amp's trying to help that as well, as you say, the thing just goes flubby. It goes crazy, yeah. And it's like, for me, it's about, it's about creating, uh, it's, the, the amp is almost then trying to just create the most percussive kind of sound. Right. Less gain, mm -hmm. tighter bass end, and then it's all from the string. Totally, right? you're absolutely right. That percussive quality, mm -hmm. you know, I, I tend to lock into the kick and snare and we do all these sort of complex rhythms. Yeah. And part of the beauty of the sound when you get that really together is that you sound like sort of one machine yeah. that's doing. So there are tricks on how to achieve that. Yeah. So first of all, as far as the guitar is concerned, um, I would always use the bridge pickup because that's mm -hmm. going to be that's going to be the sound. It's going to yeah. be the most forward, yeah. uh, brighter sound. Uh, in designing the pickups with Demarzio, we've always had this that sound in mind. Yeah. Whenever I talk to Steve Blucher or Larry about what I want this pickup to do, the number one purpose is to do that tight, big rhythm sound. Uh, even probably more so than lead sub. Yeah. You know, that's the number one thing. Um, as far as the the amp is concerned. Um, this is the signature thing that boogies do, mm. you know, practically all of them, but especially a 2C plus is to do that tight on a dime thing. So here's the trick, here's how you do it. So I would go to channel two, that's yeah. my first of two high gain sounds. Um, you mentioned it before, you, you don't have to have the gain that high. Yeah. You know, if, if you, and I can demonstrate, if you start cranking that, it's gonna get looser. Yeah. Um, which you might want for certain things. Yeah. Um, so, so you might not want to go above, you know, there, like yeah. one or two o'clock. Yeah. Um, the, uh, 
Also, the thing that's going to contribute to that fluffiness is the base. So yeah. th this will work exactly like a C plus if you own one. On those amps, if you set it high, the gain high, yeah. you got to crank the bass down. Yeah. A lot of times, I'll have it off. Yeah. Right. So off to one. I've, I've seen that. Well, yeah. I remember the first time I started mm -hmm. seeing these settings. Yeah. And I was like, really? But you have to. If you, you have if, to. If this is all feeding the preamp. Yeah. Anything you stick in there is going to like overload yeah. it, right? Um, again, that scooped sound. You know, a lot of guitar players, a lot of rock guitar players like a real mid-heavy sound. Mm -hmm. For more traditional rock and roll from metal you want to get that scoop yeah. sound and kind of like you know take that out of the way so uh, I'll I'll tend not to pull it all the way out but but go below five so yeah. maybe in that zone and then the treble this is one of the most powerful controls on the amp because as you increase the treble it's going to also increase the gain oh right yeah so if you want it mellow you can start there if you want it gainier you can go up um, so in this kind of zone is is probably going to be fine um and then something wor worth mentioning also on on my version of the c plus the presence control is also a really powerful yeah. control the, yeah. this, this is a control that was on the back on the rear of the original c pluses um it has a certain um sparkly high-end sound that's associated with it in developing this amp uh, we discovered a second present sound, okay. which is voiced lower, almost like in the 1K range. Right. That has a whole different thing. I'll show you the difference. So if you want the traditional C+, you pull I see. the presence, and you probably have to set it low, because that control, you wouldn't go too much above three. Mm -hmm. um, also, on, on the gain control, you can pull for more gain. It's just it's, a boost, is it? If right. it's not, it's just a gain boost, not volume. <laughs> Right, if you want even more. So um, I've been kind of falling in love with the new presence, and that one you can go fairly high. So I think it's fair to say for that's anybody that's not owned a boogie before, mm -hmm. you might be used to having a Marshall or something like yeah. that, where the three tone controls really just are very subtle. Yeah, um, and they just give you different flavors of a, of the same sort of thing. I, I know on, I remember when the Mark IV came out. Mm -hmm. And very you, similar yeah and you'd yeah. be like i've got a sound here like that and then you just go like that <laughs> yeah. and you go it's, it's like where's the sound gone like yeah what i've done is moved one control like a millimeter we, but they're yeah. very powerful aren't they kind of they are well, like controls. we when we have these conversations about tone you know talk with dougie and he's like yeah just breathe on it <laughs> it's like, or maddie will be like during the show just a little a tiny <laughs> um so that's how i basically set the preamp now one of the big things about this amp to get that big sound that you need to do yeah. is engage the graphic EQ. So this is this is a these frequencies have been with Boogie forever, forever yeah. right? So a typical thing to do is to kind of do this curve where you might pull out even some more mids, yeah, um, boost a little bit of highs, maybe a little bit of lows, and you get this sort of V yeah. look. Yeah. And there's a million variations yeah. on that. So this is just eyeballing it. Let's see. Where we got, I don't know what the volume is like right now. I don't want to blow anybody oh, off the planet over here. So, um. and you can mess.
guys with these. It's got that, even at relatively low volume, it's got that throaty sound. So remember that tight thing we're talking about? That's how you do it. It's not. It's not that there's no bass, is it? It's just tight. In fact, right. they, they should just rename the control tightness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You haven't, doesn't seem like you've made the sound thinner. You've just made it tighter, haven't now, you? Right, now what I'm doing too is I'm compensating it right. with the low end over here, right? Yeah. So, so this is gonna, let's see, if I just let us. As much as yeah. that as you want. Now do me a favor. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of chug on a mm -hmm. chord and I want you to turn up the bass as I do it. I want you sure. to hear what that does. Wow. Right? Now you've got that kind of unpleasant war, war, Right. War. Now, if you, were, if you weren't playing a metal style yeah. and you wanted that... It might be fine. For lead stuff, I think it is right. Funny. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's just your rhythm stuff, right? You want and I'll sneak in more bass for mm -hmm. lead stuff to kind of get the, the thicker mm -hmm. note. But if you're doing it, you need that, right? Um, it does sound brilliant. Yeah, it sounds great. So now this is the other present setting. We pull this and set it lower. This is going to be kind of more. Here we'll go like super Metallica here. <laughs> That would be something like this. sense glorious sound glorious and, and the cool thing you know like i have two goals with that sound one of them we've been talking a lot yeah which is that tight sound yeah the other goal is to get this big sound that kind of like uh what it like it blossoms yeah and i like to use chords i owe all my chord playing to alex lifeson and yeah randy rhodes for doing these big you know Stuff. Was that that first call? That was that a bit spirit of the radio? I think that was the only. That was any rush song. Ever, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> um, that you know, hemispheres. That's my favorite chord. So. Or um, Xanadu. So the idea is when I play these big chords, where let's say it's a power chord. But the uh, bass is, uh, I'm sorry, the fifth is in the bass mm -hmm. below. So if it's a C, there's a G below. And then I use the, um, 
the sus2, so there's no third, so it's not a major chord. It's yeah. not a minor chord. It's actually, yeah, it's an androgynous you, you, chord. And you were playing the, the bottom string there as well. The bottom string is, yeah, so, yeah. so I'm basically yeah. barring the whole third fret, just yeah. playing the uh, fifth and the octave, so yeah. you have this big... do those kind of big chords that have yeah. the open strings I will use a chorus on it and that'll give that that'll help out mm -hmm. right back to it does now, both in your live setup are you heavily gating that as well it doesn't no. sound like it needs it doesn't need it and yet so many bands will apply a, a yeah. gate to that but I don't, yeah, it just doesn't sound like it. You don't need it. Well, a lot of guys do the technique where, where they'll set, and this might be easier with the digital modeling mm -hmm. stuff, where you set the gain really high and then gate, mm. you know, gate it really strong. Um, the trick is with, with the boogie, it's a couple of things. You got to understand, I know you do, <laughs> um, but it's all the components. Yeah. So it's the way the guitar is built. It's the wood we chose. Yeah. It's the way the pickups are voiced. Yeah. These are all per my request what I wanted to do and it's the way the amp is voiced um, we're not there's no magic here no right well maybe well. here and maybe here <laughs> <laughs> you know we're just going straight in we have a couple of pedals um, so you, you don't need a gate you know if you if you know how to set the amp yeah. uh, another cool thing that adds to that blossoming is the wah you know it does that big Even your wah looks cool. It, you it's, know, it's just like gotta look cool. <laughs> I gotta say, it's like I love the sort of I love the fact that you're you know I. This is a bit of an aside and everything mm -hmm. like that. I think that there are when I when I was uh, growing up and buying my first guitars. Mm -hmm. I remember guys in guitar shops used to go, oh, you shouldn't, shouldn't worry about what it looks like. It should all be about the tone and the feel. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, but I do worry about what it looks like. Uh, me too. And Absolutely. I, and, I, and I think it, actually as time's gone by, it's become more acceptable that, mm. that actually that how it looks should be at least as important as yeah. how it sounds and feels and all well, that kind of stuff. I mean, here's For the me, thing. Anyway. No, I mean, it, it, it definitely has to look badass. <laughs> but it has to have it. It has to be able to like back that up. Yeah, it's got to do its right? job. It has yeah, to do its job. So with the wah, this is the signature wah I did with with Dunlop, um, and I've been and again all these relationships. And I, t I tell this to people a lot. These are people I've known for mm. years and years and years. I'm not the type of person 
who, oh, I'll try this, I'll try that. Mm. It's like I find something I like and then I'm, yeah. you know. I think that's important because yeah. there's a lot of, I think a lot of people who watch YouTube mm. uh, will see artists like you and there are many others um, and they'll kind of think that the way to go after an endorsement mm. is to just become famous and then just almost like just, yeah, anything, I'll put my name on anything if it gets me. Yeah. But I, th I think if you actually... Um, dig a little deeper you find most of those endorsements are relationships that were there before Absolutely. you know you loved the Dunlop uh, pedals and you loved the Music Man guitars and you loved Boogie Amplifiers and as a result of that they've kind of right. gone do you want to work together on something exactly and that's where it pays rather than kind of like hey I, I just need a Wawa who's going to pay me the most to put my name it's on it it's not about like, that you know? it shouldn't be that shit. It, I always truly believe the art should come first you know mm -hmm. and I've paid for all my gear forever you know mm -hmm. when you find something you love it and you buy it and if you fall in love with it, if you're fortunate enough to become a professional, you might start relationships with these people and then uh, eventually it could turn into something that, yeah. that you can help design. But the original inspiration comes from, you know, we, we're all like gear nuts. We're like, yeah. you find something, you see it in the store, look online, you buy it, you get it. Yeah. And, and you love that. So it's not like, what can I get for free? It's like, yeah. what do I like? So. I mean, from Dunlop between the Jazz Three that I've used yeah. forever, and and Dunlop Waz. I mean, you know, when when the opportunity came to do it, a signature Waz was like all over. We should it. just your plectrum. Yes. Just as a li little, just kind of as an aside, or whatever. Mm. I think it's only been in the last two or three years of playing guitar that I've suddenly realised that the little fifty cents piece of plastic yeah. is one of the most important. Oh my god. You know, yeah. you can have thousands of pounds worth of guitars and amps mm -hmm. and pedals and everything like that, but if the little 50p plectrum is not right, <laughs> it's it all so, goes to shit, doesn't it's it? It's <laughs> funny what drives us guitar players batty. And yeah, I mean, countless hours on what pick to use. Uh, uh, now, again, this, this is a good example of what we just talked about because I used Jazz 3 picks you know since i discovered them ages ago and it was only until you know fairly recently where we decided to do a signature yeah well how do you do a signature pick you know but it's based on a jazz three certain uh Altex material has a certain bevel to it and grip um again based on like my thought yeah. like wouldn't it be great if it did this who was it was uh, it eric johnson that was like the original jazz three eric johnson yeah he guy. used the red ones i actually got turned on to it when i watched a michelangelo video oh really yeah and then he was like you got to use this pick and it was a jazz three and i got that I like, oh right. cool man well yeah. i think you know your 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 soloing is legendary stuff off legends <laughs> And is that typically what you would go to Channel 3 to, to use? Yeah, so Channel 3, so, yeah. So so now, again, um, it's a combination of things, right? So it's the guitar, yeah. how it's voiced, and, and what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to have a lot of clarity, definition. Um, I spent a lot of time trying to develop a, a technique where I wanted to hear all the yeah. notes I was playing. Um, so the guitar enables me to get those sounds. I do a lot of soloing in the neck on the neck okay. pickup so mm -hmm. it's a very important pickup yeah. for me generally my rule of thumb is if I'm up here I usually use the neck pickup if I'm yeah. down here I, okay. I change you get the, the extra bite down there yeah the extra yeah. bite and clarity um, if I'm doing like more of a hammer on anything um, the bridge probably works better but for the most part to get that kind of thick glassy liquidy sound I'll use yeah. the the neck pickup so um, again 
making the improvement on the original T2C plus we have a second lead channel, yeah. a high gain channel you can go to. It's voiced almost this, the same. It just okay. has slightly more gain for us solo yeah. guitar players. And you're um, gonna dial in a little bit more mid-range for a yeah, solo? Yeah, exactly. And then you have a second EQ mm -hmm. that you can customize. So what I would do is, um, uh, I, well, the gain is pulled there. We can try that. So it's gonna be more gain. You can crank this if you really want to, <laughs> uh, but it has more than enough in that sort of zone. Um, you might mellow out the top end. That's something I, I, I do a lot where mm -hmm. if you're playing up, up high, you want the notes to scream, but you don't want them to like rip people's heads off in a bad way. So I might mellow out the treble, um, sneak in a little bit more bass for, for thickness. Yeah. And then th this middle, th there's, there's a sweet spot there that's kind of below halfway. Okay. Um, so you don't go for that kind of Carlos Santana-y kind of... That's, of mid -range a, that's a great sound. I don't generally go for that. The reason is, the reason is not because I don't like it, mm. but the um, the juxtaposition of that when when using that kind of heavy guitar crunch mm. sound and then going to that right. sounds like it's what the different. hell went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you go back yeah. from that, it's like. Oh my God, like what the, happened to your yeah. guitar sound? So you, you got to be really careful. So I almost have to set them fairly the same yeah. so you don't get that shock. I can right. demonstrate the yeah, shock sure. if you want. No, no, no. I, I, you know, <laughs> I get it. I, I totally yeah. get what you're saying now, of course. Mm -hmm. I think there's that, there is that um, school of thought that if, that if you take too much of the mid-range out, your guitar gets lost within the, sure. sort of the mix. Absolutely. But I totally get you've got to balance your rhythm and your lead tone, otherwise, yeah. You have to. Now, if I was just playing, like, I mean, Carlos is playing in his style, you know, like, there obviously there's rhythm parts, but there's a lot of lead mm. playing that's kind of in the composition. So if that's, like, mainly the tone, he probably doesn't have to worry about going back mm. to, like, a metally sound. And I guess in the, it's all about him and his band. Isn't yeah. It? Whereas the yeah. Dream Theater thing is a much more collective of, exactly. of musicians. You have to play it? your role when, yeah. when it happens. Yeah. So I might set the amp you know, fairly similar. The presence is another area where it's going to bring out the body, but it's act, but it's also, you got to be careful because it's going to bring out that sizzle. So you might want to set that a little lower when you yeah. go into your lead. So without any EQ... <laughs> So that almost has that, you know. Right? <laughs> is that it? It is. So that has that Carlos E yeah. vibe, right? Yeah. Um, gain wise, you can go all the way up. So, but I would still want some shaping. Yeah. Right. So, I love what you did when you switched. You probably did it even subconsciously mm -hmm. from the neck to the, the bridge. Yeah. It's halfway through the riff, but it just brought a different dynamic to what you were playing. It just right. sounds cool. Well, that's know? the general rule. Like I said, if I was playing down here. I'd have it on yeah. probably the bridge then, you know. go up to the neck it has that more liquidy yeah, sound yeah. so here's here's the uh the shocking juxtaposition i was talking about. i'll just yeah. demonstrate it yeah, yeah, why yeah. not so if i'm playing a metallic -y rhythm yeah. 
It's kind of shocking. Yeah, it's wrong, yeah. isn't it? They don't blend well. They don't blend well. Sounds. I mean, that might jump out in a yeah. live situation, but that would freak me out. And then mm -hmm. when I, let's say I was, I was on the sound for a while. Yeah. And I went there. I'd be like, yeah. what happened to my sound? <laughs> so, so I'll kind of get them closer, right? right? So we'll pull some middle, maybe not as much. Dial in a little low end and high end, and we'll get a little closer. This way it fits in. Oops. Just get rid of this. That's it. Broke my yeah. <laughs> I think it's like closer now, right? Yeah, it is. But it's still, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna jump out. What I'll generally do too on a solo, and I, I, I can't demonstrate it now because, um, we're only in mono, mm -hmm. but I'll have like the axe effects in right. the effects loop. And that will uh, give me the ability to have two different delay engines, have a left and right, yep. you know, two different uh, delay times. And what are that, you hearing when you're on stage? Are you hearing your, your yeah. 4x12s or are you hearing full back? I'm generally? hearing complete glory, mountaintop so glory. So you just, you just want to hear the amps, do you? Well, no, it, this is what, it, what we do live. So uh, on stage, we have no sound coming off the stage. So all of my mic cabinets are backstage facing okay. the other way, <laughs> mic'd up. Uh, because we don't want our sound engineer to have to battle yeah. with sound coming off the stage. So um, I use in-ear monitors. Okay. My rig is in stereo, so there's two right. boogies and two cabinets that are mic'd, and it's hard pen left and right with a seven millisecond split. Yeah. It sounds like the biggest, hugest, Stereo then, guitar. And you get that sensation still in the inner of the stereo and... and Ma total, actually oh, cool. more than ever because you're totally in this closed yeah, studio in the environment. Spot, and the delays that are in stereo that just, they're these floaty things that are yeah. just helping you out. Your little friends. Yeah, cool. Repeating what you did, saying, good job, good job, good job, good job. <laughs> or, or you my, suck, yeah, you suck. Or in my case, <laughs> wrong note, wrong note. Right, <laughs> that does happen too. Um, and then to, to kind of... Um, to supplement that, what we did is uh, we have another set of mini um, boogie cabinets, just one by twelves, mm -hmm. that are facing me on either side of my right. pedal board. Right. And I use those for two purposes. One is I put my foot on them <laughs> for a little nice classical footrest, and secondly, um, to uh, to give me some sound coming back at me. So I have the thump of a cabinet, yeah. and I'm able to go up to the um, the speaker and get feedback. Right, of right? course. Yeah, so I get the best can't of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. So, the so the delays. I mean, this is a mono delay for now. this kind of it's doing a couple of things you know you can get the aggression mm. out of the low notes on the bridge pickup right? that's the Steve Morse trick I like. 
Here on the higher strings, you're going to have. I'm using the bridge pickup, yeah. and I'm I'm, I'm I'm impressed with just how. Rel I mean, obviously, what's not simplistic mm -hmm. about the rig is the amount of thought that's gone into every element. Sure. But what it but but ultimately what it's ended up with is a fairly simplistic yeah. rig, isn't it? You know, it's it, yeah. it's not. Um, it's it's it, to get that sound hasn't required anything other than a chorus pedal, a relatively affordable chorus pedal as well, and an affordable delay pedal. You know, yeah. and, and it just sounds great, man. Thank you. I, yeah, I think it's all that it's all that time, like you said, it's the thought that goes into mm. it. And um, you know, I'm a firm believer that anything you add into the soup is gonna <laughs> it's gonna flavor it for good or for yep. bad, right? So you you have to have all the components need to yeah. be like top-notch you uh -huh. know that's the way to go and uh, as if this wasn't enough I have a couple of tricks up my mm. sleeve I'll, I'll reveal to you I've been saving them till good now. oh good okay what one of the tricks is on the guitar yeah okay so um, did you ever like you were playing a solo and you felt just like let's say you were away from your pedals and you just wanted more mm-hmm but you couldn't get. <laughs> well, this guitar gives more. Oh, okay. Yes. So what what we did is on the volume control, which is very appropriate. Yeah. We added a twenty up to twenty dB boost. If you if you uh, press the volume control. Yeah. It's going to give you a boost. Now, what that will do, you, you can hear it. Um, probably most obviously yeah. on a clean sound. Yeah. So this is to give you an idea of the amount of volume that's going to happen. So 20 dB is yeah, tons, isn't it? You, and you can set it lower if, right. if that's too much. So on a clean sound, if you want to jump out, you yeah. have it. But the way I use it is on a lead sound. So if I'm playing along, I got my nice sustainy sound. Here, we'll crank it as much as it can be. And I have a delay. All right, everything's going along well. And we just want more. Yes, more is more. I can be in the middle of the stage and just, just goose that up. Some of those bends, man, where you're hitting the, the, the second string as well underneath yeah. of it, they just sound incredible. It's like the guitar's screaming, isn't it? It screams, but you know, the cool thing is, and we're right next to it, Yeah, it's not bothersome. It's not no. like, you know, knives in the ears. Um, it, it, that's, that's all the tone. It's the wood, it's the pickups, it's the amp. Um, but the great thing about it's the that... the fingers. Yeah, and, you, know, you know, it's like, it is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, that's the, it's the flesh. It's... Uh, it's everything, you know, and, and you know, the, I, di I still think the player's the, you know, the player is the most important ingredient. But then, as you rightly say, I love that. I've always used 
I use the spaghetti bolognese analogy. You use okay. the soup analogy. Okay. I use, you know, which is, you know, it's everything down to, you know, cables. Yeah. Everything has, even if a cable is just one grain of salt, but if you can taste that grain of salt, mm -hmm. then it's there, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, it's like, and, so, the, and also the setting, you know, what table you're sitting at, <laughs> the flatware, you know, the people you're with changes how you think about music. You know, the key to, to uh, just as an aside, like, I've always found this as an important part to my playing yeah. style. We talked about style earlier. Yeah. And um, can, can we just put you on your clean sound while we're. Yes. Just, just make that. Sorry, happen, I have the worry. game, like, it's super. Fine. But. Um, you know, I, I've always spent a lot of time, as a lot of guitar players do, with the metronome, trying to get my technique together and everything. One of the things that's really super important to me when soloing uh, is to take all that and just like throw it out the window. <laughs> and when you're playing, uh, to to play with a lot of like aggression and attitude and vinegar yeah. and balls. And when you play <laughs> notes like that, that you you like the way the sound of that note is. What I'm actually doing is I'm not being too careful about how I'm going about hitting it. In other words, I'm hitting like all the strings before, yeah. you know, doing that. Yeah. I'm maybe grabbing another string at the same time. Yeah. Um, I'm enjoying what's going on, I interacting, and not so worried about like that I'm, yeah. you know, going to play the exact notes. So when you put that together in a solo, you get this real kind of aggression, yeah, and it's like really important to me, especially if you get the wah going too. It's like, let's let's do it, it, do it, man. Yeah. So, such an important does aspect. the inner 15 year old boy come totally. out of you absolutely you <laughs> yeah, got exactly. like to me players that don't have that have difficulty like yeah you know it, it's great like having technique and facility in developing the craft is yeah. something I'm totally into yeah but being able to play the guitar like a guitar player like just yeah. that attitude you know you gotta take advantage of the instrument it it, it has you know, it's strings on a piece of wood. It's like you can make it sound like anything. Yeah. You know, put your, put everything into it. You know, don't be timid about it. One thing I don't like is timid yeah. players. I want people to scream when they when yeah. they play. It's still what I love the most about the electric guitar, and I think yeah. why it's become just the modern instrument of choice in in the world is that as much as I'm, you know, I'll enjoy listening to music with almost any kind of instrument on it, but there's really nothing quite like the electric guitar to mm -hmm. just to just express any kind of emotion. Absolutely. Uh, you know, m most instruments have a have a sound and they, they make that noise. And if you're an accomplished musician on there, you can probably get it to sort of, you know, you can get elements of light and shade. Mm -hmm. But nothing goes from like over here to over here like the electric guitar does. With all, obviously, you've got to have all the stuff <laughs> to make that happen. But uh, Although it's such I, a great instrument. It is. I've seen, seen it done. Guys with playing acoustic do that, too. Mm. It's such an expressive instrument. Um, and, and the funny thing is that a lot of the other instruments try to, they're trying mm. to emulate that. 
you know, different... I suppose keyboards with synth elements can... Yeah, you know, what are they trying to do? Get feedback on, mm. on a synth, you know, get, get aggression, get distortion. So do you, do you break a lot of strings when you're playing? I do not. Okay. I do not break a lot of strings. Um, I've been using Ernie Ball slinky strings forever and ever and ever. Just the 9 gauge? Uh, oh, it's, which 10 gauge. 10. Yeah, 10. Yeah. 10 through 46. The 7 string is the low 56. Yeah. Um, my tech and good friend, Maddie changes my strings regularly so we don't overplay on any of the, yeah. the guitars i mean but but even then we don't need to change them every day um they last and and they generally do not break yeah um but it has happened on occasion yeah. i mean i think every guitar player has experienced that playing a high note and then yeah. push. <laughs> what what have you done i mean there's the the um ernie ball and other brands i guess as well but ernie ball have have mm sort of pioneered that kind of um, higher density string, co yeah. Cobalt a few years back, Paradigm more recently. Yeah, M-Steel and all that, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, so I mean, is that a string that you, you know, that will appeal to you in terms of the, the extra, you know, performance maybe, or life it'll give the, the, uh, yeah. the, 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 the guitar? Absolutely, you know, I, I have to say, I'm really, uh, is as much as the advancement in technology and developing the, um, the guitars has been and the different engineers that I've been mentioning and their dedication to it you know th their um, dedication to uh, exploring new formulas and technologies and materials as far as strings are concerned and what Brian Ball has done in that area um, is just so impressive to mm -hmm. me because in some ways you know guitar players don't think too much about it it's like a string we talked you know, about that, didn't we? Plectrum, yeah, string, right? You know, these are the these are the, I guess, some of the most affordable elements to right. what brings to your rig. And yet, you know, really scientifically, I guess, strings and picks are going to contribute. They sure are. more to the tone than maybe than what wood the guitar's made from. Absolutely. Not that not that any of that doesn't contribute, but you just think it is important that you it is important that you've got a a pick that sounds and feels great and strings that you know are the best that you can yeah get them to be and and the whole way that when you play guitar that a string resonates mm. um and and the way that it feels mm. under your fingers and the tension mm. that you get very used to you know as we talked about be before guitar is a really expressive instrument so it involves a lot of bending and manipulating of the notes and you know, of course, it's really easy to make a guitar sound bad mm. <laughs> because you have the ability to change the tuning at whim. But it's also really, really not easy, but it's really uh, rewarding yeah. to, to try to make it sound beautiful. So all that stuff that you're very used to is you don't want to sacrifice when you hear that a string company changed something. Mm. So what's impressive to me about the Paradigm strings, so those are the new strings that are the unbreakable strings mm. that are super, super, super strong, is that they maintained the sound of a slinky string. They right. feel, yeah. you know, blind taste test, yeah. same string. Um, but they but they dra dramatically increase the, um, the strength of the string, yeah. which is great for any guitar player. Who wants to break a string? <laughs> yeah, or cor uh, corrode. I mean, I guess you're yeah. fortunate, um, you know, you get to have a tech I'm changes spoiled. your strings yeah, I'm a you know, spoiled. every few days right. uh, but yeah I mean I'll typically change my strings probably I don't know maybe every six or eight weeks or something yeah, like that so, 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 and, I, and I absolutely know that probably for the last 
four weeks of that mm-hmm. I'll be playing with a string that doesn't have that nice yeah. new feel to it yeah. so I'm kind of cool with the, the, the you know I'm hoping the paradigm thing you know works out for me so yeah, absolutely it should be cool yeah it's great technology and, and they really made some incredible yeah. strides in that cool man that science yeah I said I had a couple of tricks I'll show yes. you one more yes yes, okay. yes so so my amp has one secret weapon okay okay um, so we talked about before this is the last thing I'll, <laughs> I'll bother you with we talked about before. We could do this all day, man. <laughs> it's not a bother uh, at all. <laughs> so, so the whole the whole thing with um, playing heavy rhythms and players using seven string guitars, eight string guitars, things like that, mm-hmm. and you're playing through a, a high gain amp, right? Um, maybe if you're using something digital, you can do that trickery where you're gating it and you're yeah cranking up the gain so uh, on my amp what I wanted to do is have a feature that you can step on oh, you got more buttons I have more amp. buttons Ooh. yeah that's going to that that will bring that quality out like it's almost like like it's a mastering quality so if I was listening to a mix and I wanted the guitar to have some hair on it and just mm-hmm. kind of like do this thing um, we might add like 3k to it or something like that um, we built that into the amp it's uh, it's actually not on the foot switch that comes with it, but it's it's MIDI accessible, oh, and the wow. feature is called Shred. It's <laughs> aptly called Shred. So what Shred will do is it kind of shifts the voicing up to like the uh, higher mid, and it's going to accentuate like some gain in that area. All right, so I'm going to have you engage the Shred. So engage the Shred. Engage Shred. So you can have Shred on either channel two or three. In this case, all you have to do is you just go up. We'll go. Oh, up. okay. We'll go to channel two. So you can do this via MIDI. MIDI, yeah. As exactly. well. Yeah. And what, what's actually happening in shred mode then? Is so, it more gain, more more? No. So, the Q so curve? it's kind of taking like the uh, the upper middle and emphasizing that. So it's like a, it it's adding gain in that upper. Oh, range. I get it. That that yeah. So it kind that of that kind bring, of thing where the guitar goes into hot, um, feedback, kind of that. Yeah, kind of it kind of brings that range. out. It was really creatively done. Mm. Um, you know the way that Randy voiced it. it just it, it especially, and I'll show you. And if I had seven string, it would be even better. But do we have? Oh man, oh, that's like brutal. I love it. Okay, so you want to go into it? All right. Yeah. So so the shred. So the, uh, the shred. The other. Yeah, you gotta love the name of it. Um, the the other trick up my sleeve. So I play a lot of seven string stuff. I know a lot of players that do as well, and that or that play uh, drop tunings. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a song in our current set called "As I Am" that's on our Train of Thought album, mm-hmm. where it's, the guitar is tuned to C, so two whole steps down. Um, a lot of players use eight string guitar. Mm-hmm. This shred feature is going to bring out clarity and aggression when you're playing those right. lower kind of riffs. So what I'll do is I'll kind of chunk on a couple of low chords yep. and, and I want you to Switch engage shred. All right, so it's going to so be this shred here. two and three. So shred. Oh, you're on shred I'm on two, two. So, so we'll go, go up two. Kind of, yeah. Now if, you, if this is all MIDI uh, switchable, so you wouldn't have to do that. But anyway, so here's a no shred. Thank you. 
okay. <laughs> so just when just when you thought the amp wasn't like yeah, you know, as aggressive enough and forward enough, that shred will just put it over the top. When did you first uh, do the seven string thing? Then I don't mean as in with any ball. I just mean yeah. as in as a player. When did you first do the um, seven string? That was when when we went into uh, the writing sessions for our Awake album, which is our mm -hmm. third album. Uh, we were in New York City. Um, I got delivered to me a Steve Vai mm. seven string that was the only one that was, was really say, around. That's about the only one, isn't it? And it was uh, black with green pickups. And uh, I picked it up and we wrote The Mirror, which right. is on that album, which is, I played the riff just now. It's a very simple riff, but it's heavy. And I just started. You know, the way that I kind of. Uh, look at seven string guitar and um eventually eight which we're working on oh really it, yeah i the way that i <laughs> approach it is uh is just like a, a, an extended range mm. of the instrument so anything that i would play on a six string if i was doing a line and uh you know let's say that that line was in c sharp mm -hmm. and you know i wanted to do something like yeah. that right but it sounded like maybe too wimpy down mm -hmm. here It just gives me more more range, you know. I mean, John Myung uh, plays six string bass. Yeah, he's able to go down there, so why can't I? But you you, you think know. with an eight you'd go because I yeah I I don't know whether it's the width of the fretboard when mm -hmm. you get to eight, but I start to find that I just can't hold the thing like a yeah. guitar. Right, right, right. And the players that I think get the seem that I enjoy listening to that mm -hmm. seem to get the most out of eight strings are almost like the sort of I don't know, like the Stanley Jordan type players, right, you know, where, okay. they, where they all of a sudden it's not really traditional guitar anymore. That's it's almost like saying. they're playing the piano on the guitar. Gotcha. Um, I often think with an eight string, it's like, well, why don't you just tune the seven string? Right, and then, right. But, but well, you're, you're quite comfortable with that wider border. Well, I don't know, because I, I, now here's the reveal. I haven't played one. Okay. And in the same way, this is my plan. Let's see. Mm. I don't know if it's going to happen, but <laughs> this is my plan. So in the same way that back in 1994 whenever that album came out in 94 I'm not sure when we started writing it but when I got that seven string for mm -hmm. the first time literally in the studio in front of the guys hey check this out <laughs> and we started writing and that music came out of me playing that guitar I want to approach the eight string in the same right. way so it's something we're developing now there's no schedule for yeah. it when it does happen one day and I get it I want to be in the studio pick it up and start writing and see what happens and see what happens and not really think too oh, much about cool. it and think of it just kind of as an extension of range of the yeah. instrument yeah but we'll see so this has been absolutely one of the favorite interviews i've ever done oh, thank um you. i uh you know apart from that five minutes i met you in la not met you before didn't really know uh what you were going to be like but you, you know you're such a down-to-earth humble kind of guy with some insane chops um I got to ask you, you know, is what's next for for you and Dream Theater and just you know you're gonna got other projects going on or you know yeah what's the future what's well, the future? Thank you for saying all those kind <laughs> words. And it's been great hanging out with you too. This has been great. Thanks, man. Um, I think it's a really cool series. I watched a couple of the other ones you did with Paul and yeah yeah it's really cool. 
Um, well, Dream Theater, right now, we're currently on tour, as I said before, celebrating Images and Words, which mm-hmm. came out when I was half my age, 25 <laughs> years ago. And uh, we're taking that throughout Europe. We just finished a bunch of UK dates up. We'll be in Asia. We'll be in the US. Oh, cool. Um, and that'll take us through the year. In August of this year, um, August 7th to be exact, I have my first uh, ever guitar camp oh, that, I, wow. that I'm running. Yeah. So it's called John Petrucci's Guitar Universe. Yeah. And it has a collection of some of the most insanely talented guitar players. Uh, so it's me. Uh, I'm not including myself in this. <laughs> so, so, but, so me, um, Tony McAlpine, yep. Tosin Abasi, Devin Townsend, Rusty Cooley, Andy James from the UK yeah, yeah. here, um, Andy McKee, Jason yeah. Richardson, um, a ridiculous amount of talent. Uh, Mike is this Mangini. one of these things when you just maybe you get a, a very limited number of spaces and you go and spend a week with you? Or yeah, that's what it is. So I think uh, I think the max capacity is two hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in August, August seventh to eleventh in Glen Cove, Long Island, New York, which is not too far from where I grew up. Yeah, it's on the North Shore, a bit further west, uh, in in part of Long Island we call the Gold Coast because it's filled with mansions and things like that. And uh, it'll be, uh, yeah, four days of madness, oh, of brilliant. instruction, of hanging out, barbecue. Uh, and are there spaces left on that? There are, yeah. Oh, so if we put a link in the yeah, description Yeah, there's below. not too many, so, you know, I would get there quick. This is the first <laughs> one I've ever done. Um, I dropped in on Joe Saturani's camp yep. in the same location. I was just about to say, Guthrie yeah. did a couple of the Joe Satriani. Mm-hmm. Guthrie Govan did a couple of the Joe Satriani ones, and I know yeah. he always enjoys that. And the, I see a little bit of YouTube footage yeah. from him, and it, it does look So I mean, cool. It's it's insane to think that you can. I don't know. It's, it's probably the equivalent of you know when you and I were teenagers of someone like I don't know Jimmy Page or Stevie you know, Ray Vaughan going. Right. Yeah, I know that, which they just never did. You, you never know, it's did. Like, it's so cool. So it's very very cool. Yeah. When I think about the uh, the musicianship and the talent and the camaraderie that's going to take place, mm. that's going to be oh, so well, cool. Be awesome. So I'm really looking forward to that, and that'll be in August, and then Dream Theater will continue on in the fall. Uh, with this tour and we'll probably be in the studio next year so the eight string concept album comes out yeah right (laughs) it all depends on the timing if it links up you know I think we we got our fill of concept album with the last the astonishing was our last album which was a huge huge project that took many years in the making not only uh, in in making the album but in in the tour and and developing the production for that tour and it was uh it was something that was like really rewarding but so much work and time went into that so the next one will be (laughs) non-conceptual probably heavy and use a lot of three minute pop songs (laughs) (laughs) we're like we're gonna get back to like playing some metal so it'll be fun oh it's great well look man i i I said it's such an honor to have you on the show thank you so much good luck with everything and uh everybody please round of applause john petrucci nice (laughs) Thanks, ma'am. You got it. Thanks for listening to our latest podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit that subscribe button. See you next time.